This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Thank you those people that have uh, been uh, really encouraging about this. Uh, we've looked at community, we've looked at, uh, at the devotional life of Jesus, we've looked at praying the Lord's Prayer, and um, last time I, uh, we looked excellently on the gift uh, of the practice of generosity. Last time I was up, we were looking at uh, the ways you were formed, and so let's just bring up to speed. I, I did this diagram for you, which says that we're formed by these things that interact together. We're formed by the stories we believe. Culture's telling us stories all the time. And part of what we're doing here is giving you Bible stories and we're giving you a new story to believe that we believe in God's story. We're shaped by the community and the people we're in. It's been lovely to pray for Paul and Molly. And it's great to kind of celebrate the community that we're in. And Christopher spoke powerfully about that. And we talked about experiences, encounter moments where we prayed for and we meet with God, which are really, really powerful, but also those challenging moments that, that, that where we feel like life's really hard and, um, and we feel like, God, you need to open a way through the waters like we're in the worship this morning. So we spoke about those things and I did a little bit on habits, but I want to press further into uh, the power of habits, the power of habits. Uh, so, uh, in, if you've got a Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, but nobody has a Bible these days. Uh, so, it's on the screen, because we know you just like it easy. Okay, Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Um, actually, I heard someone speak about this and says, If you're a millennial, that's not true. We all got a prize. <laughs> but actually, I come from the time when just one got a prize. But, you know, if you're, if you're kind of young, you all got a prize. So, you know, okay, just bear with me. But uh, you run as only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Ooh, those words. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and master it, so after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul is kind of ripping into athletics, and uh, uh, obviously the Greeks were massively into athletics. Uh, they had, um, you know, games, Olympic games kind of originated in, 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 in Athens, but in, in Corinth they had the Isthmian games, and, and the, you know, the, the athletics was all around. People kind of got the discipline of athletics. And so Paul talks about, uh, don't you know that, all, uh, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? The fact is you're in a race. You are in a race. You might not think you're in a race, but the fact is, whether you're going slowly or faster, you're heading for a destination. Part of what we said about stories is saying, what is the destination? What are you really, really running for? What you're really striving for? What you're really pushing forward for? It might be a career. It might be think, man, if I get married, I'll be happy. You might think, you know, if I'm not married, I'll be happy. You might think, you know, when my children are grown up, I'll be happy. And then you think, my, my children are grown up, and I was happy when they weren't grown. Whatever, you're kind of running for this kind of ideal thing. But obviously... For Christians, what are we running for? What are we running for? Actually, let me make it easy so it's the Sunday school answer. 
Who are we running for? Okay, we're running for Jesus. We're, that is the prize that we're after. In one sense, this series has been the following, the way of Jesus has been saying, we're after him. We want to be with him. We want to be like him. We want to do the things that he does. And so Paul writes elsewhere in Philippians, I want to know Christ. That's the prize. I want to know Christ. Say that, I want to know Christ. Not that I've already obtained all this, already arrived at my goal. But one thing I do, it's the same kind of imagery here, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're running, you're in a race, and our race is to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus, to do the things that Jesus said. That is the race. And Paul is saying, you've got to approach that like an athlete in training. You've got to approach that kind of purposeful uh, direction of your life like an athlete in training. And, and so he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They will do it to get a crown that will not last. Things that go when you die. Things where you think, I've got loads of money and then you die, it's gone. You've got loads of fame, when you die, it's gone. Loads of things you think, I'm, they're, they're the target of my race. When you die, they're gone. A crown that will not last. But we, Christians, those who believe in Jesus, do it to get a crown that will last forever. That's him. That Jesus, we do it to run for him. But he says you've got to go into strict training. Who loves the words strict training? Come on, there's a few of you. Yes, thank you, Bruce. We saw him on the hill running with his running gear on. He's like very yellow. He's got these kind of things on his feet, like barefoot running. And Nazi's like afterwards, do you think I should get some barefoot running things? And we're talking, and I said to Bruce, I don't really run. He wasn't very sympathetic. He said, you need to drink water. And I think, oh, strict training, I hate it. There's only Bruce and Naomi. Anyone else like strict training? Yeah, there's one or two of you. Most of us don't like strict training. Most of us like our sofa. I like my sofa. I, I don't like strict training. I just want to chill. I just want to enjoy myself. I just want to eat dairy milk chocolate and drink red wine. I don't want strict training. But the fact is, I, I, I do, I, we've got habits and the strict training is important. Anybody know who this is a picture of? Not that one. That's me, obviously. Andre Agassi. So, <laughs> Andre Agassi. His dad was a bit of a nightmare. He bought this, table, this tennis machine that would send him tennis balls. He hit... 1,000 tennis balls, 500, 500 tennis balls a day. By the time he won the Wimbledon final, he worked out he'd, he'd hit 6 million tennis balls. 6 million tennis balls. Uh, Naomi read, because she reads these kind of things, about a rower called Matthew Pinson. When he was in, the, he was row, won gold medals in the Olympic final, they, the, they, they row for 2K. He said for every stroke of the Olympic final, he'd rowed 4K. So he'd, for every stroke of the final one, he'd, he'd practice for four kilometers. We understand strict training. We love it. That's why we celebrate athletes. And that's why we don't like it when they cheat. We like it when they do it properly and clean. But we celebrate strict training. We understand the importance of strict training. But the fact is that if we... Uh, Aristotle, I never quoted him before, but I'm trying to look clever this morning. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not a moment, but a habit. When he holds up the silver cup on the centre court, that is a moment, we think, wouldn't it be easy? But actually, that's a habit. He's done that. You've got to practice. I'm trying to learn golf. My golf coach says to me uh, that I need to practice 
for 10,000 hours. That was the book by uh, Tipping Point, Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours to be great. And then he actually, somebody else has come and researched and he said, and you still might not be good because you still got to have natural ability. But the fact is, we have to do things repeatedly. What we do is, what, what we do repeatedly is what really shapes us. What we do repetitively really shapes us. So James K.A. Smith, who's written great stuff about this, is, uh, is uh, uh, from a, a university in the States, a theologian and, and social uh, commentator. He says, there is no formation without repetition. There's no formation without repetition. And actually, if you understand brain, the brain, the way you form a habit, that's a picture of the, the neural pathways in a brain. The way you form a habit is by firing those brain pathways together. That you, you just do something, and um, so let's say it's something exciting, and that kind of all the brain neurons all fire together, your brain then seeks that out again. Your brain is plastic and it's wired to do the things that you repeatedly do. That's why um, when you're trying to put your trousers on in the morning, um, when you're a little kid, you have to say to them, okay, just put that leg in first. Is that, mums relate to this, dressing the little boys? Now put that leg in, then pull it up. Now, Naomi doesn't have to do that for me. You know, there may come a time later on in my life which I have to retell me how to put my trousers on. But my brain pathways know how to put the trousers on. You're all, you're all thinking, oh my, no, could you use a different example? But you just know how to do it. You know how to do it. You've got repetition. You just repeat and that becomes, it forms you. And we know that bad things, bad habits, if you focus on the wrong stuff, the reality is if, if, if sexual, sexuality, if you focus on stuff over and over and over and over again, you will end up down dark corners. If you focus on aspects of porn, the reality is that while your brain, you'll end up down dark corners. That's the way it works because our brain is plastic. But if you focus on positive things and good things and you do repeatedly do things well, then you'll end up neurologically shaped that way. That's how it is. There is no formation without repetition. So we have to go into strict training. Training very hard transforms us more than trying very hard. So it's interesting, the band were all practicing here and then we like pray together and I think it was Tom or Christopher said, like, why don't you come down and, and pray? And Christopher said, Praying's more useful than practicing. And I thought, if I prayed, if I just got up and thought, I'll just try to play the guitar, you know, it's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to bless you. Even if I prayed hard, Lord, make me amazing with the guitar, like I talked about last time in experience, it's not going to happen. I'm going to need practice. And the reality is, even after I practice a lot, I might be, still be useless. But the reality is, you've got to practice. You've, and I talked about this before. You've got to practice. I used this quote from John Ortberg uh, when we were looking at this before. Training is essential for almost any significant endeavor in life. Running a marathon, becoming a surgeon, learning to play the piano. The need for training does not stop when it comes to learning the art of forgiveness and faith, joy and humility. It applies to a vibrant spiritual life just as it does to any other activities. Learning to think, feel, speak and act like Jesus is at least as demanding as training to run a marathon or playing the piano. The fact is, whether you like strict training or not, we're in it, boys, girls. We're in it. We're in this strict training. We need to get ourselves into strict training. Again, a couple of quotes I've used before. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. What you do in the daily monotony of your life is what is forming you and, and shaping you. Um, again, another quote that I've used before. 
The crucible of our formation is the anonymous monotony of our daily routines. I'll say that again. The crucible means like the fire in which the furnace in which you're formed is the anonymous monotony of our daily routines. They rewire us from the core to see the world in a certain way. and desire certain things. It means the habits of our lives shape the desires of our lives, which in turn shape the direction of our lives. Misdirected loves lead to misdirected lives. So this uh, lady, Trish Warren, uh, wrote a book called uh, The Liturgy of Our Lives. And uh, it's an interesting book. If you kind of like a book on day-to-day kind of stuff, um, she talks about like waking up in the morning and making your bed. And like how a routine and what happens when you lose your keys and making breakfast and having a cup of coffee and sending email. She talks about incredibly mundane things that you wouldn't think are spiritual. And she talks about how she uses those, how hard God uses those to form her. And she says this in that book. We want a Christian life like a movie with all the dull bits taken out. I don't know if you've... Uh, Alf, uh, is it Alfred Hitchcock? Alfred Hitchcock, the movie producer who makes all those kind of scary films, he said the reason why his films work is because they're like life with all the dull bits taken out. You know, and that's what, when we watch movies, we think, oh, life must be amazing because it's all the boring bits taken out. And social media does the same, doesn't it? Let's, let's take out all the boring bits and make our life look amazing. But the reality is that actually our lives are not lived in the cut and edit of the exciting moments. They're lived in the dull bits. She says this incredibly profoundly. What if days pass in ways that feel she is small and insignificant to us, or ways she is meaning and part of the abundant life God has for us? Amen. You didn't know I was dyslexia. When it fires, I'm gone. So what what she's saying? Sorry, I feel embarrassed now. What I'm saying, what she's saying is those things that seem small and insignificant are, are weighty with meaning for God. The, the routine moments are weighty with meaning for God. And actually part of the abundant life God has for us. And this is new for me. This is new for me because I want to live in the exciting moments. I want to live in the experienced moments. I don't want to live in the boring moments. She goes on to say, God is forming us into a new people. And the place of that formation is the small embodied moments of today. The way you live your Christian life is in this body. It's what you do with your body that counts. There's a whole sermon there about, Paul talks about, it's not the spiritual life. We're not Gnostics who live out of body with this special knowledge, this kind of spiritual experience. No, the Christian life is embodied. What you do with your body. Paul says, do not offer the members or parts of your body to wickedness. In other words, what you do with your body matters. It's not just we have a spiritual world up here and the embodied life doesn't matter. What you do with your embodied life really, really matters. And, that, and so therefore, because Christianity is an embodied faith and you work it out in your body, you, 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 the things that you do with your body on a daily basis really matter. And we kind of get that with food, don't we? There's kind of an obsession with food in our culture. You know, we really, really are obsessed with what we eat and what we don't eat and like, you know, the dietary requirements. I've just started to realise actually that I'm the, I have a go at all these people like have their food preferences. I've just realised I'm the fussiest person in the church. 
It's just starting to leak out in a really disturbing way for me. That when I go to dinner, like Naomi says, all oh, right, yeah, it doesn't like this, it doesn't like that, it doesn't like the other. And people, we go to dinner and people go, oh my word, he's so fussy. And I think, oh, I don't think I was, but I am. But we're obsessed with food and we're obsessed with what we like and we're obsessed with food. But, because, but we understand because that affects your body. If you eat stuff in a certain way or you eat too much or whatever, we understand that that affects your body. If you eat the wrong things, that affects the climate. We understand all that, that that's embodied. But when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to faith, we kind of separate that out. We don't realize it's, no, it's embodied. And so I, I saw a tweet that's, that's from somebody in California said that people are more bothered what food you eat than who you sleep with. Because in Christianity circles and, and in secular circles, we've disconnected the body. But actually, what you do with your body matters. What you look at, what you say, where you go, the habits of your body really mattered. So I've got two pictures up there. Washing up and making your bed. Do these matter? Well, in one sense, they don't matter, do they? But actually, washing up is a way of saying that food eating together matters and cleaning up matters and clearing and being, being disciplined. So I've, I, I was a person that didn't wash up. There's two types of people, isn't there? There's those people that wash up immediately and those people that think, well, we're just going to go in and watch the football and we'll wash up afterwards. Is there anybody in that category? Do you want to admit it? Uh, my son's on youth work, bless him. Don't go to him afterwards because he always feels like every week I mention him and every week you go to him. But it's like, he just, he's got this kind of let's leave it Let's leave the stuff. And now he's like, definitely, let's wash it up there and then. But why does it matter whether you leave it or not? Oh, the stuff dries on. That's not the point. The point is what? Discipline matters. What you do matters, being disciplined. You go to a student's flat and it's all over the place. You think there's something going on here that's more than just they don't wash up the pots. It's an indisciplined life. Because discipline matters. Making your bed there's a book, actually, I was told last night, without with Paul and Molly, and uh, they, there's, Molly said there's a book called Making Your Bed. Is it right? Making Your Bed, How Making Your Bed Shapes Your World. This is a secular book. But actually, the, in, Tish Warren says about making your bed is like a way of saying, you know, the, the, the start of the Bible starts with kind of, there was morning, there was evening, the first day. There was morning and evening. It starts with those kind of rhythms of days. And... and, and and Trish, Tish Warren says that she didn't used to make her bed. But actually she thought, no, I'll make my bed because it's, it's almost a way of saying, God, you've made the world new. You have ordered the world today. Your, your, your grace is new today. So I'll focus on that. So in these kind of mundane moments, and you might think, what, is he teaching us to kind of make our beds and wash up? No, I'm trying to say what you do with your body matters. So here's a guy who uh, I've quoted before called Brother Lawrence who wrote a book called Practice the Presence of Jesus. He says this. The time of busyness does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess in God a great tranquility as if I was on my knees before the blessed sacrament. What he's doing there is taking the spiritual and mundane and bringing them together. He's saying the, how I wash up is as important as how I come and eat bread when we break bread. 
And you might think, that would be ridiculous. This is spiritual washing up snow. But actually, all of our life matters. And you think, what do you mean, Brother Lawrence? I, I don't get that. So he goes on and says this. It is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn, is French. I turn my little omelette in the pan for the love of God. I turn my little omelette, sorry that was awfully racist, wasn't it? I turn my little omelette in the pan for the love of God. We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God. Who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it's performed. Yeah. An ungrateful washer-upper is learning stuff about gratitude and discipline. But you can do it, uh, this will come back and bite me, I know. Uh, you can do it with an we say, no, I'm doing this. Paul says, do everything to the glory of God. You're a teacher, you're marking books, you think, oh, flip. Do it to the glory of God. You're answering emails, do it to the glory of God. You're, you're changing nappies and up all night, you do it to the glory of God. You do it and say, I love God, I'm doing it wrong. Those little things shape you. We've talked about this. That, that, that spiritual practices are, are like a chair that you... Can you pull that picture up? Are like a chair to get to the cookies. Now, let's see if we can remember from last time, if you're here. Who's the cookies? Jesus is the great prize. He's the cookie. He's the one that we want. The mundane routines of our life are actually the chair. How we do those things can help us connect with Jesus. How we do those things. Dallas Willard says a spiritual practice is an activity within our power, like pulling in the chair, that habitually practiced allows us to reach the point where we can do what we could not do by direct effort alone. You can't become like Jesus just by thinking about it or wishing like it. You have to follow the way of Jesus. And over the, over the centuries, uh, Christians have called these spiritual disciplines, which sounds horrible, doesn't it? But it comes out of this idea of Paul's idea of strict discipline. But actually, spiritual practices are much easier. And you can look at these like almost on a, a bit of a grid, there are things that you can do on your own. Things you can do on your own and things you can do in community. And there are the things you can stop doing, abstinence, or things you can start doing, engagement. Okay, so let's take making your bed and as an example, you, as a spiritual discipline. You obviously you tend to do that on your own unless you feel like you've got a great marriage and you hold both sides of the duvet together. You know, maybe that could work. But you tend to do that on your own and it's something that you do. Okay? But the traditional spiritual disciplines kind of work like that. So we tend to think of spiritual disciplines as, as things you do in the top corner on your own. Things you say, I'm going to be silent or on my own, absence of community, absence of noise, I'm going to do something on my own. I'm going to become like this monk that goes into this kind of monastery and closes the door on the cell and I'm just going to be silent and I just say, Jesus, you're here, now I'm here. Or we can think of it like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. You know, if you say, I'm doing things on my own, like, you know, fasting, you can do it with other people, but you can t t tend to do it on your own. We've got this idea. But actually, there's a whole range of stuff. So simplicity is the absence of crazy clutter in your life. You can do that in community or on your own. I, 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 I'd love to kind of 
to declutter our lives. And it's interesting, again, Paul and Molly are getting loads of mentions this morning, but they are, it's their last Sunday, so we can bless them lots. But they're, you know, they, they, they're moving and packing boxes, and the stuff's got to go. Stuff that you gather's got to go. And I think sometimes like that in our life, we just gather, gather habits and routines. And sometimes it's good almost to, to think, right, I'm going to just get rid of some of them. I'm just going to strip down. I'm going to just live more simply. Sabbath. It's something that, it's, it's something where you stop what? You stop work. You stop, you rest. It doesn't mean you stop seeing people. It can be something you do in community. You can Sabbath with people. But it's saying, I'm going to stop the restless, energised working because I believe it's not about me, but it's about him. So I'm going to rest. Sabbath doesn't mean that you take the day off and say, all your responsibilities, like I'm not washing the pots because it's Sabbath, I'm not making my bed because it's Sabbath, you know, I'm not being friendly because it's Sabbath, no, I'm not coming to church because it's Sabbath, I'm not engaging in community because it's Sabbath. No, Sabbath is about saying, I stop my drive my run to make my life my way and I centre myself again and say I'm actually making it his way let's pick a few more what about this one celebration anyone thought that was a you thought it was a box of chocolates didn't you but actually it's a spiritual discipline it means to celebrate things that have gone well it's something you do in community it's something you do in engagement in community we don't do it enough I'm rubbish at it Celebration's great if you're constantly thinking life's, life's a mess, life's broken, why isn't this person doing this, why isn't this person doing it? To celebrate can be a beautiful thing. To say, let's celebrate. So they're like people, you know, when people have birthdays, celebrate. When people, it's good to celebrate. It's good to say, God, thank you for what you've done. Confession. If you're in a three, it's good to say, hey, I'm struggling with this, keep me accountable. Generosity. Worship. This is, this is a spiritual discipline, what we're doing here. We're doing it in community. And it's some action. We can do these things. So these kind of spiritual disciplines are things that you can do. But they can be as mundane as making your bed and they can be as, as profound as fasting for a day. Let, no, let me ask you a question. What do people worry about when you, when you put these things up? Legalism. What do you mean by that, Vic? Great. You do these things to look spiritual. Oh, I'm, if I said, right, I'm fasting, you know, you'd think, why oh, are you doing these to look spiritual? Oh, you're doing that activity, look spiritual. I just had a day's retreat of silence and solitude. You can think, why are they doing that? You're doing it to look spiritual. And there's a subtle way that these practices, these ways of the way of Jesus, kind of got out of shape. And people started to look at them as if they're doing them for the wrong reasons. But actually, and James K. Smith mentions this, says lots of Christians affirm repetition in all kinds of spheres of their cultural life, whether they're musicians or athletes or teachers or whatever it might be. And then, then we think repetition is illegitimate, empty ritual in the spiritual realm. And that's a very modern new idea. So we say, if, I, if you went away and said, I, I want you to, to start to fast now, you'd think, man, this is a legalistic church, isn't it? But actually, what is fasting about? Fasting is the chair to get to Jesus. Why? How does that help you? We'll look at that in a minute. But we can tend to think of these things as legalism. Why is that? I was really helped by John Mark Comer, who's helped me a load on this, because actually there's a thing called the Reformation. Does anyone know what the Reformation is? 500 years ago, the Catholic Church, and we're not against Catholics here, but the Catholic Church had kind of worked its way into a point where they were doing these spiritual practices as a way to, 
earn salvation. If you did this and did this, you got years off, kind of years off hell and purgatory and you get to heaven. And you do these things as a spiritual practice to kind of earn God's, earn God's love. So what did Martin Luther come in and said? Martin Luther came in and said, no, that's complete junk. You can't earn God's love. Who's earned God's love? Jesus, great Sunday school answer. Jesus has earned God's love. Jesus has died on the cross. And we believe by faith in Jesus that you're forgiven and free. Who believes that? Yeah, amen. We believe that, don't we? But what happened is, John Mark Comer very helpfully says, we choked out the spiritual disciplines with the bathwater. We thought, it's legalism. I'm not doing that. And we lost a load of ways to engage with Jesus in a fresh way. So here's a picture of Martin Luther nailing his, how many number is it, 94, 95? 95 theses, ideas to, to the wall in, in a church in Germany. And he's basically saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do these things to earn salvation. And we all agree with that. But the reality is what's happened now is that we don't do any of them. Dallas Willard says there's no question of doing this purely on our own. In other words, you can fast as much as you want and you ain't going to get to heaven, you ain't going to get the love of Jesus in you because you need the death of Jesus. Died on a cross, his blood shed for you, faith in that, you need that, it's him. But actually there is some part where fasting helps. There is some part where these things help and we've thrown it away. He says, there's no question of doing this, the race of Jesus, purely on our own. Jesus is doing the running. Jesus is helping us. Jesus' spirit is working. But we must act. Grace is opposed to earning, say this, but not to effort. The Bible says loads of times, make every effort. We've got to make an effort. Those of you making an effort to do the, the, the Bible survey, reading every morning, you're making an effort. You don't just do it when, when the Shekinah glory comes in your bedroom and, and the, the, the angels just lift you up and make your bed for you and, and dress you and then you just the spirit comes and you just think, oh Lord, just read me Joshua chapter 4. Yes, amen. You don't do it like that. You just think, okay, here we are. Up again. Oh, I want to go on Twitter. No, I won't do that. I'll read first and I'll say, Jesus, you're here. I'm here. And read. And it's a discipline. It's an action. Who's been doing that and feels that that action is changing you? Paul, get your hand up. Paul Hunt, get your hand up. Do you feel the five by five has changed us? Absolutely. He's, Paul, every time I meet with him, a three says, this is a great thing we're doing. And I think it's not because Paul's a legalist, because he knows it's changing you. It changes you. Daily, it changes you. It changes you. You've got to make an effort. It's not like, so I don't care if you fast. But I do care whether you change or not. Paul says, I do not, not that Paul, Paul the Apostle says, <laughs> I do not run like someone running aimlessly. Instead, I discipline my body. In other words, it's embodied and mastered. I say to my body, we're going to do this. We are going to do this. I'm not going to be aimless. I'm going to do this. That means you've got to say, each day I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do this. And that's not legalism, it's called making an effort. It's called making a way for the Spirit of God to work in you. So I haven't done this yet, so I'm preaching out of areas where I haven't done that. But actually, it felt like a good idea, so I'm putting it in, and maybe some of you will do it and say how it works. I was um, 
in the, in the book by Tish Warren and also stuff that I've been written by John Mark Comer, he, he says, take an inventory of the rhythms and routines and rituals that make up your life. In other words, just write down what you do in a typical day, a typical week. He says, make a list of the habits you habitually do. And then, says, identify an then he says, identify an unhelpful habit and cut it out. So John Mark Comer talks about a guy in his church whose life was a little bit kind of off the rails, and he just said, I'm just going to not watch TV. He said, I'm not going to watch TV for a year. John Mark Comer went, well, good luck with that one. And it's like he just cancelled his Netflix subscription, he just stayed off the TV... Stayed off. He didn't like go onto his laptop and watch TV. No, he just stayed off TV. And he just described how, and, and he filled those times with reading and study. Now, that was him. Some of you might think, I couldn't think of anything worse to fill my time with. But it was almost like a screen off, study Jesus on. And John Mark Comer said, this guy is like a year on transformed. I think for Lent... Coming up, isn't it? Are we there? Do you know when people used to say, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent, I think, why? You fool. Jesus isn't going to love you anymore. We're saved by grace. But what I want to challenge you people, when Lent's coming up, give up a bad habit or a wasteful time or an aimless habit and replace it. Replace it. I'm not going to say what I'm going to do, but I've got a little idea. But my team did well the last few weeks, and I'm on Twitter. Oh, I should give it up, shouldn't I? Can I do 40 days without Twitter? I'm committed now, aren't I? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Lord, help me. Everybody goes into strict training. Twitter off. It tells you how many hours on Twitter. Who's on Twitter? Facebook? What about a social media fast? All these people, like, they say, yeah, I never was on it anyway. <laughs> well, you might need to find something else to fast, people. <laughs> but we'll get rid of that and say we're going to replace it. Would that sound a good idea? Yeah. I'm not going to ask you because that sounds like legalism. <laughs> replace it with a practice of Jesus, Dallas Willard says. The first and most basic thing we can do is to keep God before our minds. Twitter off, focus on God on. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part is thus practicing the presence of God. I'm doing my omelette, and he's there. I'm practicing the presence of God. It's to direct and redirect and redirect and redirect, Howard, and redirect our minds constantly to him. Gradually, a new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God and this is what we want, isn't it, people? This is what we're after. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to north. If God is the great longing of our souls, and he is, he will become the pole star of our inward being. A couple of practical stuff. First one is take action on your weaknesses. Um, we, we love prescriptions, don't we? Well, with a men, we're like, well, I'll go to the doctor eventually. And our wives say, get to the doctor. And you say, oh, I'll go eventually. Ladies are like, you know, but there's some people like the go to the doctor often. But we, we're good with a prescription. Who's ever had a prescription? 
Some of us don't want to admit to it, but hey, you've probably had a prescription. And sometimes a spiritual discipline is like a prescription you have to take for a short period of time, like antibiotics, but you have to do the full course. So here's an example. Here's, Here's three little descriptions. You know, you get like, take three times daily before food. To discipline your body's desires, take fasting once a week. I'm getting water to demonstrate, but... Why, why does fasting work against your bodily desires? Help me. You can't be selfish when you're fasting, but what else? It's about saying no to your bodily desires, isn't it? I mean, unless you don't like food, but most of us do. So if you've got a problem with bodily habits where you're taken to a place of laziness or looking at stuff, on the internet, or drifting into overeating, comfort eating, whatever, if you're even just comfort is your thing, the way to, the prescription to take for that is called fasting. You look all shocked now, I'm not joining this church, I've been around for three weeks, they're after my money and now they're telling me to fast, what's the matter with them? But actually, if you... John Mark Comer, again, listen to this, and I know this is true. He says, when people come to him and say, I'm struggling with poor, he says, fast. Because because porn is about your desires. It's misplaced desires and misplaced love that should go to him. So you say, I'm not doing that. I know it's going to shake me. I'm going here. To tackle pride... Be in community at least twice a week. Why does, why does community and pride, why does community help pride be tackled? Okay, let me just tell you. Okay, so the, the trouble is, if you are prideful, is anybody, I don't know anyone who struggles with that particularly. Most of you are great. But you know, if you're prideful, what, well, the thing about community, how does that community kill pride? Thank you. People see you as you are. There's no hiding. We love it if we fake. Well, I'm in community. How's your day? Hallelujah. Great. Fasting. Sorry, I'm fasting. Yeah, I've been reading my Bible. Yeah, Joshua. Oh, yeah. You know, we can fake in community, but when you really get to know someone, that, that, that they're just not impressed with you. Read that Clifton smiling. <laughs> We're imp- I'm still impressed with you, Clifton. I really am. <laughs> But, you know, if you get close in community, so Christopher's laughing because he knows Clifton, he started to get to know him, he's like, whoa. <laughs> There's no pride if people really know you. They've got to say, well, I'm just not impressed with him. We're impressed with Jesus, but we're not impressed with you. If you're not in community, you're going to get proudful. But if you are proud, again, be in community and be honest. Okay? To end distraction, there's another one. To end distraction, focus on scripture memorization. Some of you have been doing this. Some of, you, like, some of you young guys in the church have been doing this, and I'm like well impressed. Not because you're going to earn your salvation, because what you're saying is, I could so easily be off everywhere else, but I'm going to memorize this scripture. I'm going to memorize this scripture, and that's going to help me. It's like, does anyone find yourself singing a song, like you're going around through t- through in the town, and there's like some song came on the radio, yeah, and, and you start singing it? There's one that Naomi and Damaris have been singing like, Something about, I don't like my friends and they don't like me. Does anyone know that song? Anyway, this song's been going around in your head and you start singing, I hate your friends and they hate me too. (laughs) It's like, whoa. 
You have to learn, a, it's like, learn, a, learn some Bible. Learn some Bible. Get that going around in your head, eh? You know, capital off. Jesus Radio on. No, don't listen to Jesus Radio. Don't listen to God TV. Okay, quick, I'll get my... T- so do you see how it works? Work on your weaknesses. So you could do that in your group this week. You could say, this is my weakness, and everyone could shout out, you need to be in, or you need to do that. We'd do it in our staff team, eh? Whoa. Okay, second one. I'm nearly done. Lean on your strengths. Lean on your strengths. So, uh, if you're an extrovert here, put that, can you put the, we get the introvert, extrovert thing. Can you put the other one up, the next one up? If you're an extrovert, where do you like to live? Name something where you like to live. Extrovert? Celebration. Celebration. Yes, we love it. Extroverts, we're there. Celebrate. We love worship. I love you, Lord. Come pray for me. We love all that, don't we? Introverts are like, hmm, I'm not moving. Don't you tell me to raise my hands. And we all look down on you. Us introverts, is extroverts, oh, look at those introverts. They're so unspiritual. And then the introverts are like, through the week, fasting, silence, solitude, and we all think, ooh, they look down on us extroverts, like, what is the matter with you? You've got no spiritual discipline. So some of you will feel better in the top left corner. Some of us will feel better in the top, bottom right corner. But let's do some things. Lean into your strengths. Find a way to connect with Jesus. I'm done. Find a way to connect with Jesus. An atheist called Nietzsche said this, but it's actually attributed to Eugene Peterson who wrote the, the, the message version. He said this, a long obedience in the same direction. Nietzsche said, life is a long obedience in the same direction. Eugene Peterson took that and applied it to the spiritual life and said, the spiritual life is a long obedience in the same direction. It's the routine, regular habits of our life. Everybody runs. Everybody's running for a prize. You need to go into strict training. Because the prize we're running for lasts forever. We don't run aimlessly as those with no purpose who punch the air with no desires, no sense of intentionality. No, we run purposefully. And I say that as an indisciplined person. Paul ran like that. Maybe it was easy for him. Maybe Paul was an introvert. Maybe Paul had been a legalist. He had been a legalist. He'd done these practices in the wrong way. But he learned in the end as he writes to a young guy called Timothy. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He knows he's about to die. The time for my departure is near. I've fought the fight. I've not been aimless. Boxing the air with no purpose. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but all who've longed for his appearing. When we get to the end, the story of your life will be what you do in the mundane moments. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.